Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You know, in a situation where a criminal hurts somebody, what you have is the police will show up to determine who was it that did something wrong. And then they will put away whoever's guilty. They arrest them. But the ambulance will show up from a, to perform a very different role. They don't care who was at fault. The ambulance job is simply to heal and restore whoever was injured, even if it's the guilty person. That's the difference between law and grace. It's kind of like the difference in, in what police do from what the ambulance does. The law exists to condemn and put away the guilty. It also tells us what sin is, while the function of grace is to heal and restore whoever, regardless of what they did, to restore them back and heal them. Similarly, the law cannot save you, just as grace will never condemn you. So in Galatians chapter 2, Paul wanted to make sure Everybody understood that being saved by the grace of Jesus means that we are then justified by faith. Justified means that you are pronounced righteous, means you're not guilty. But there's some confusion that happened over this whole thing about grace and law. What does law do? What does grace do? And so Paul had to jump in to fix it and defend the gospel. In Galatians 2 verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Okay, I'm already going to stop there in the first verse because it's important. The fact that Paul said, I took Titus with me. He was a Gentile believer that believed in this gospel that could also save Gentiles. Now, how interesting it is for Paul, this Jewish man, He said he was once more zealous for all the Jewish traditions than any of his friends ever were. And Paul said, and guess what? In verse 1, he said, I took Titus with me. (laughs) Do you hear this, guys? A Gentile believer with me. In other words, guys, look at this. He said, me and a Gentile are doing ministry together. Now, that ought to be sharp news for some people to have read. You took who? This Gentile? You're doing ministry work with a Gentile? You might recall that there was a certain part of the temple where Gentiles were not allowed to enter. Only Jews could go in there, and they tried to accuse Paul once of taking the uh, the Gentiles in there, into that Jewish-only portion. Paul never did do that. He didn't do that. But here was Paul directly telling them in a letter, guess what, guys? He's saying, I'm doing gospel ministry work about a Jewish Messiah. I'm doing it with Gentiles, and I'm doing it Two Gentiles. I took this guy Titus with me. You, you got to catch the the gist of what he's getting at here. What he, he's trying to say: this gospel is not just for Jews; it's for everybody. And the reason I'm jumping on this point so much about the fact that he took Titus with him 
is because I am a Gentile. I'm a Gentile, friends. Um, I'm thankful beyond words that Jesus did not just come to save the Jews. He came for everyone. Grace restores everyone, everyone who would believe in Messiah Jesus. That's good news. Galatians 2, verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately by those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Okay, what does this mean? Well, in chapter 1, Paul made sure the people understood that his calling to ministry was not made by men. It came through the revelation of Jesus Christ, through, through the revealing of Jesus. He revealed this to him. You're supposed to go into ministry. He's saying, nobody summoned me. Nobody wrote me a letter and said, hey, Paul, you need to come up here. Nobody told him to go. Paul went to Jerusalem simply because the Lord told him to go. He was shown by revelation. Now, I can really, personally myself, I can relate to what Paul's saying here, because when I was called to ministry, I had to leave my old 20-year career in radio to go and do it. I was scared to go do it. I mean, 20 years, that's a lot of time to give up. I had the position, title, benefits, a good job going, and I was afraid I was making a big mistake by just running off into this thing called ministry, okay? But the Lord confirmed the calling to me by revelation. Everything in my life was shutting down except the direction towards ministry. Every other opportunity that I had for anything it started to close shut in agreement with the calling so that, you know, when you see every door shut but one, you realize, well, I guess that's the Lord telling me by revelation, I need to go do something here. So I just kind of wanted to illustrate a little bit what this calling by revelation might look like. It may have looked like that to Paul. I, it certainly was like that for me. But I can understand what Paul meant when he said he went somewhere by revelation which means the Lord revealed to him, Paul, you are to go this way. And the Lord did that to me. Ray, you are to go this way. Friend, you probably can look at your life and realize that the Lord might be calling you to a certain direction because everything else doesn't seem to be working. Obviously, the last thing that's going to work is the way that the Lord called you to go in anyway. Take that as a comforting confirmation of call. Now, the last time Paul went to Jerusalem, it was to hang out with Peter and James but this time, Paul says, he went to preach the gospel of Jesus to the Jews in Jerusalem. And notice that he added that the gospel, quote, that the gospel which I preach to the Gentiles. That was a big statement to the Jewish people who thought, no, wait a minute. You can't preach the same message to both Jews and Gentiles. We're two different kinds of people. We don't mix. It can't be the same for them as for us. We are Abraham's children, and Gentiles are not. They are the foreigner. We are not. How can you preach the same gospel to Jews that you've been preaching to Gentiles? It just doesn't add up. That would be like me as a Texan trying to teach other people from Texas to say you guys instead of y'all. I mean, Texans don't want to do it. It just doesn't sound right. It just seems wrong. <laughs> okay. So Paul knew that teaching the same gospel message to both Jews and Gentiles would strike a lot of Jews that, man, this, this can't be right. There's something off here. 
And so Paul said he preached privately to those who were of reputation, which means he preached to those people who had a great leadership influence in that society. Paul knew that if he could communicate the gospel to these influential leaders, then a lot more people would follow those leaders beyond just what he could do on his own. Let me give an illustration. Uh, When I worked on the family ranch growing up as a kid, I went down to Grandpa's ranch down in Palacios, Texas, and we worked cows. And I learned how handy it is to have what we ended up calling a lead cow. Now, I noticed one day that the herd of cattle seemed to follow whatever this one particular cow did. If, If this cow went somewhere, they followed her. So I named her Molly, and Molly became my lead cow. So I spent a lot of special time with Molly. I went to her with apples and hay. I would brush her hide with a really coarse brush, and she just absolutely loved it. So in the process of spending time with her alone, me and Molly learned how to communicate with each other, and we learned how to work together. She knew what I wanted her to do. I trained her a little bit, go this way, go that way, and she would respond to it because she knew me. I spent good time with her. And so often, whenever I needed to move the whole herd to a specific place, maybe they were, the cows were out in a pasture and I needed to get them all back out from the pasture to come into where the barn was at to get them all pinned up, all I had to do was just get Molly to do it, my lead cow, and then all the other cattle would follow her. Okay, so that, that's a way to move the masses by using the influence of, of somebody that had a natural leadership talent behind them with, in my case, was Molly. <laughs> so it says that Paul met privately with those who were of reputation. Obviously, Paul wanted to spend some personal time with Jerusalem's most influential leaders to build them up in the gospel of Jesus so that together they could draw a whole lot more people to the gospel of Jesus Christ a whole lot more people to coming to Jesus as Savior than what Paul could do all by himself. You see, ministry work is not a Lone Ranger thing. You can't just do it by yourself. You need a leadership structure. You can get more done. Same with any company. You've got a lot of employees. You discover your natural leaders, and you give them positions of authority because a lot of people will follow them, and you can achieve more together. I I think back to my days with Molly on the ranch, and it's amazing how can look back on these ranching days with a bunch of cows and realize how the Lord was teaching me ministry even back then. So Paul taught the gospel to the influential leaders privately. And as he said, here's why he did it. He said, lest I might run or had run in vain. Again, let me bring you back to good old Molly. It was a lot easier when I had Molly working with me on a team. But once we lost Molly, there came a day where we lost Molly for whatever reason. Now she's gone. She had passed away. I was now running in vain, okay, because you got to get out there in the pasture. I ran up and down the pasture. The cows were going this way and that. Uh, Other work hands were getting upset that they were kind of the cattle were running all different directions. I couldn't get them to follow in like I could do when I had Molly. I felt like I was running in vain. I felt like I'm running for nothing, like there's no order to it. There's no structure, and it just goes crazy. So Paul knew he needed to preach the gospel to people with influence to get them in on the team to help out, or else Paul would be running around all over the place 
trying to round up a, a crazy herd of people that were going in a hundred different directions at once, unless I would run in vain or had run in vain, he said. You spend close time building up your leaders and everything goes a whole lot smoother. And that's the same way Jesus ran his ministry. He drew in thousands of believers during his time on earth, but he spent a lot more personal time with the 12 disciples. Why? To create a much more effective ministry, lest the disciples would all run in vain as well. Galatians 2 and 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, which is a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Okay, so Paul brought Titus into the story here, and Titus was pressured to be circumcised, but Titus would not do it. Circumcision is this this thing considered to have been a requirement for salvation, but Titus wouldn't do it because he knew it was not a requirement of salvation because he knew the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that salvation was based on Jesus' sacrifice, not on man's works. Man does not perform anything or or do some kind of action that gets him saved. It was all in what Jesus did. So Paul had said that false brethren, guys that are pretending to be believers in Jesus, but they really weren't, they infiltrated the church and came in and tried to mess the gospel message up that it's no longer by faith in Jesus Christ. Now you got to do this and this and this. You got to check all these boxes off on all these things you got to do to be saved. They, they came in to mess it up and actually take their freedom, their liberty away. Now, remember what Paul said in chapter one. He said, if anyone, even us, if anyone tries to sell you on another gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. And so these fake Christians believed you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. They came in as spies. They pretended to be believers. And friends, this happens in churches. Some people are in there. They look like believers, but they're not. They're, they're, they're spying. They're putting on an act. Okay, They come in and infiltrate the body of believers, and they do it strictly for the purpose of bringing everybody into bondage, to take away the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus, to, to burden people down with religious requirements, religious checkboxes, stealing their liberty in Christ away from them. They threatened to try to make slaves out of people who had been set free. From the bondage of sin. I'm telling you, friends, you take somebody who was once a slave who had been set free and you try to enslave them again, it ain't going to go well for you. Now, these false believers, they snuck into it, into the church to work directly against the freedom that Jesus gives. They wanted to strap everybody down with rules and regulations again, which is why a lot of people today, they don't like church because somebody tried to strap them down with you got to do this. You got to do that. And they didn't like it. And so these fakers, they specifically targeted Titus and they tried to shove him into doing circumcision. But if Titus had given in to their pressure, then that would have been a denial that salvation is by faith alone. And so Titus wouldn't do it. 
And so that's why Paul said, we did not give in to these guys even for one hour. Paul and the believers of the real gospel, they stood firm in the true gospel message of Jesus Christ. And friends, we got to do the same. Galatians 2 and 6. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. <laughs> Paul is he's pretty direct, isn't he? I love him. So Paul had visited Jerusalem a couple of times by now. He had preached privately to leaders with good influence. But Paul said their stature didn't mean much to him. He said they seemed to be something. In other words, they appeared to be famous. They had a lot of power. In our day, maybe it would be like a, a celebrity, somebody that's real famous or really, really rich. A lot of people look at them and go, oh, gosh, we love them. we got to be like them. But Paul said their high status, it didn't affect him one bit. They did not alter the way he preached the gospel message to them at all. Paul was not, you could say, he wasn't starstruck by their celebrity status. He preached the gospel to them exactly the same message as he would have taught anybody else. Jesus Christ died for everybody exactly the same. So Paul allowed nobody to change or water down the way he taught the gospel because God shows no personal favoritism to no man. People that like to play this, God shows me favor, God shows me favor. I'm sorry, he doesn't do that. He doesn't favor anybody. Paul said those who really seem to be something. Paul said they added nothing to him. He did not feel fluffed up that he got to rub shoulders with the big people of that day. I mean, you know how it is when people meet somebody famous. They, they just lose their mind. Like, there's somebody extra special. Paul said they're not. They're not extra special. They're just the same as anyone else. Everybody's barking about equality these days. You want to look at equality? The real definition of it, God shows no personal favoritism to anyone. That's the real definition of biblical equality. Now, Paul did give a special mention to Peter and James that they were great men of God, but Paul did not allow even their fame, Peter and James and the great guys of Jerusalem, as great as they were, they had no effect on Paul's ministry work. He said that Peter and James backed Paul's message, and Paul said they received him as an equal, and that's good. Now, I have friends then in my life, me personally, they do not follow the Lord God at all. And they mention about how famous I am. Oh, you got this podcast, Set for Life Radio, and I'm, I'm broadcast around the world. And they look at me as the famous guy, and they, they talk to me different. I, I, I can sense it in, in their tone. I personally don't care for that kind of talk because, friends, I'm not trying to be famous. All I'm doing is I'm just trying to get the gospel out to as many people as I possibly can. Uh, when I think about celebrity, Probably uh, to date, as of today, where I'm at now, the most famous person I've ever spoken to is when I had John Schlitt of the band Petra as a guest speaker here on Set for Life Radio. And I asked him if he ever struggled with his fame, but John said, no, I don't struggle with it. I use it. He uses it to attract people to Jesus, not himself. So he uses it to glorify God. And I'm so glad he said that. So John Schlitt, he essentially spoke in agreement with Paul, 
that God has no favoritism just because you're popular or you're richer or you're powerful. The gospel stays the same whether you're big or small. And Christians should never let people's varying statures affect how they handle the gospel in front of certain people. It's the same message for everybody. Paul never let anyone, anybody powerful, add or alter to him. He he would not let them change the cut and dried gospel message as Scripture states it. It is the same gospel for everyone. And believers should never let anyone cause you to compromise it. Never back down from the, the truth of God's word just because somebody more powerful than you disagrees with you on it, okay? Not even for an hour, Paul said. We never backed off the gospel. Galatians 2 and 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Okay, so Paul's talking about, you know, you got different ministries to the circumcised, which was to the Jews that followed the law, and to the uncircumcised, which was to the Gentiles. We are all being called to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and we're all being called to send this message out. But consider the apostle's viewpoint here. He said James and Cephas, which was Peter, and John, they were the first leaders of the gospel ministry. But then suddenly this guy, Paul, shows up out of nowhere, and he's got the same gospel message, too, that they were preaching. It's kind of like, you never were in our group, Paul, but you have the gospel, too. And they were fascinated that they that they were all speaking the same thing, that the Lord truly had called Paul just like he had called them. They recognized that Paul's ministry was genuinely commissioned by the Lord. They had been sent out to the Jews, to the circumcised, But Paul and Peter at one time, too, had been sent to the uncircumcised Gentiles, yet the gospel message they were proclaiming agreed as the very same thing. They were saying the same thing for Jews and Gentiles alike. Guys, this is fascinating to the people of this day. It was that big aha moment that the gospel is not for Jews only. And Paul's ministry proved the Lord wants to save everybody. See, that's grace, friends. It's not so concerned about who did what wrong. It wants to restore everybody, but the law can't save you. Grace restores. So Paul said that when James, Peter, and John perceived the grace that had been given to Paul, means they recognized that grace that Paul's got is the same one we're teaching. So Paul says, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they gave Paul an endorsement. Kind of like... We don't know where you came from, but you are one of us because we're teaching the same thing as you. That's good. Now, the one request that the apostles had asked Paul to do was to get out and help the poor. And Paul said, hey, I've already had that on my heart anyway. So, yeah, we're still all in agreement anyway. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.